welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I think I want to do this a little different. I'm going to give this book away in a minute. I'm going to make it part of tonight. If you have your Bible or your digital device that you you call a Bible... This is the one time that I'm going to approve of you staring at your glowing screen. In Revelation, not Revelations, it's, I feel like Pastor Duane now. Revelation, no. Those of you that went to the GC, it's an inside joke. GTC, GC. What's a GC? Gift card. For those of you that gave me a gift card, it's an inside joke. (laughs) In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, uh, this is honestly one of my life verses. Uh, Those of you that are paying attention, my name is Stephen, spelled just like Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. Um, Stephen in the Bible who was the first martyr that was uh, persecuted unto death he wasn't the first martyr that's why I'm pausing because the word martyrio in the Greek can be translated Martyr, as in a physical person who is killed for their faith, or it could be translated testimony or witness. In Acts chapter 1, it says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that you shall have power and you shall be a witness unto all people. I think it's verse 8. And that word witness is martyrio, which is the same Greek word that Stephen was when we reference him being a martyr. Martyrio, martus, uh, they're just different uh, actions of the same word. And so when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you become a martyr. You live dead. Amen. I really feel like I want to read Romans 6 right now, but I'll, if you promise me you'll read it later, I won't read it. Romans 6 tells us about that death that took place. It's in your old man. It's in the sin nature of who you were. I was trying to minister to a fella um, after... Uh, Kay and I were the last people to leave the GTC. They were literally picking up everything around us. It's like every room I'm in, I'm the last person to leave the room. I'm beginning to think that maybe it's me. 
maybe not. Um, but we were literally the last two people to leave the room of the GTC because I was ministering to a guy trying to convince him to be healed. And I know you're thinking, like, stop it. You didn't have to talk someone into healing. Oh, no, I spent 40 minutes trying to convince a guy to be healed. Uh, I'm not going to go into all that, but he was a person that deeply, deeply believed in generational curses, um, in uh, the the curse of Adam, and then all the other curses. And so I told the guy, I'm like, man, you are a special kind of damned. Because not only do you have Adam's generational curse, but you picked him up like all the rest of them. Like, you're like infinite number of curses like you're the most cursed person ever if you go, if you go all the way back to Adam and you pick up every lineage all the way I'm like you're the <laughs> you're just damned I'm like the Lord have mercy on your soul anyway I couldn't I basically couldn't talk him into receiving healing and I'm like why didn't you come to it's interesting because he he came to a GTC and Andrew Walmack Dwayne Sheriff GTC he Went through the entire, this is the last session of the last day, went through the entire GTC, last session of the last day. Came up, I wasn't even officially on the altar team, I just uh, was asked to continue to pray for folks because the line, it was like everybody wanted to get prayed for at the last um, session. And so I just, they asked me to be on the altar team, and so I just started ministering to people. And this guy came up and sat on the front row and waited for me to minister to everybody. And he said, hey, will you minister to me? And I'm like, of course. He said, the Lord told me to come up here and wait specifically for you because he told me that you would lay hands on me and I would be healed. And I was like, this is going to be the easiest thing ever. (laughs) Forty minutes later, famous last words. He could not receive the fact that Jesus had given him healing at the cross and that he was still cursed and he well, he damned himself and he was filled with condemnation and just bad stuff and things and, and he literally was backing away from me when I was trying to convince him about the love of God, the finished work of the cross. He literally was backing away. And it it's so... It so messed me that, I mean, I was doing everything I could to talk him into receiving the love and the goodness of God. And it, it really made me realize how the things that people experience and the things that they've been taught sink so deeply into the depths of who folks are that you could even hear the truth over and over and over, but until you're willing to literally open up and be really authentic and allow the wrong to go, allow a gardener to come into your heart and pull out what doesn't belong and and gently and tenderly plant what's supposed to be there, until you let that take place, um, you can sit in this environment, you can sit in this culture, and we can be saturating the fire out of you. But there has to be this divine exchange of the old way of thinking for the new. 
Romans 6 is, is Paul's great dissertation on that old person literally being obliterated. One of the words in there, when I, I used to study Romans 6 like all the time because I struggle with a lot of that belief system. And one of the words in there literally means that sin was obliterated. Think about that. And it, and the point of Romans 6 is to convince us of how dead the old nature, the old man is. It's the main point of Romans 6 is for us to get it. That the old man is dead, the old nature is dead, and now we need to embrace the new. That is what the Holy Spirit has come to do, back to Acts 1.8, to make you a living dead person, a martyr, a person who died, but is more alive than they ever were before they died. Stephen, think about it, when Stephen was quote-unquote martyred, did he become more dead or more alive? The process of martyrdom takes you into more life. And that's why it's not something that should be the end of your life or you're, you know, you're preaching the gospel in uh, Pakistan or, or right now in Afghanistan or something and you're killed by the Taliban or something like that. It, it, that's not really uh, the most legitimate way to understand martyr. To understand martyr is you are one now. You know, if you live dead, nobody can ever scare you with death. The devil can't scare you. I'm going to give you a cancer if you don't act right. Are you going to kill me? Good luck. I already done did that. Well, I'm going to send people over to you and persecute you. Persecute my corpse? Whatever. Shoot your best shot. What you got? If you're if someone that you love is mean to you, you know your spouse is like, I can't believe that you did the thing. You're you know you're fussing with a dead guy. We we don't really embrace this living dead. In Revelation twelve eleven it says, and they overcame him. The book of Revelation is about a revelation of Jesus Christ, specifically a revelation of the victorious, overcoming Christ. It is not an end-time prophecy book. It has end-time prophecy in it, but that's not the point. So if you read the book with believing that it's an end-time prophecy book, guess how much mucked-up stuff you're going to find in there. Whereas if you read the book... As the Apocalypto, which is the revealing of Jesus Christ, you're going to get a ton more out of the book of Revelation. It's about the victorious Christ and those with him that are victorious. That's why people say all the time, I've read the end of the book, we win. Because it's a book of victory. It's a literal victory book. And so many people read it and they get scared and they buy spam and build a bomb shelter and they wait for the Antichrist to come and kill them. It's ridiculous. This book is about overcomers and their overcoming king. And specifically, this verse just kind of blasts in there with this, this theme. And they, that's you, beloved, 
And I know I can say this to the beloved. I can't always, I can't say this in a lot of other churches. I've been in a lot of other places and a lot of places that I preach, it is not a building full of overcomers. (laughs) Amen. I'll just leave that there. And they, you, beloved, overcame him, the dragon, the devil, uh, specifically the one who uh, was accusing the brethren. Every time you accuse a brethren, you are doing a diablos. That's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe. That the word, accuser of the brethren, is the word in the Greek diablos. So every time you want to be the devil, accuse a brother or a sister. That, that is you being a devil. Amen. That was awesome. Thank you for all that applause. They overcame him. And you could say they overcame it, like accuser, accusations, condemnation. So you can be him or it, because it's not just him, the devil, it's also it, what he does. So they, the beloved, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus. And that's his part and completely his part. You've got zero to do with him being the sacrificial lamb for all people, for all time, for all sin. Zero. you got nothing to do with that. That's all on him. For God so loved the world that Jesus came and redeemed you from the life that you once had by his blood. So his part is the blood. As the sacrificial lamb. And that's a conjunction for those of you that have been a long time since high school. Conjunction means this one conjoined to this one. And so you got God's part. This is what, this is one of the things that made Andrew famous. The balance of grace and faith. God's part and our part. So God's part is the blood of Jesus. And it has been applied to the doorposts of your heart. You are safely in the house, the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit, with the blood on your doorposts, doorposts, and the death angel has passed you by. And by the word of their testimony. Now we need to testify what Jesus has done. We, we do. We, we should spend a ton more testifying about what Jesus has done than the devil has done. And I can tell you that I've been around a lot of Christians and I wish that they would get that understanding that the more you testify about the devil and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's going to do, the more you empower him in your life. If you testify about what Jesus done, what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is going to do, you're going to empower him in your life. But there's also a testimony of yours. Your testimony. And some of you probably think, well, I just got this this dumb testimony. There is no such thing as a martyr that was dumb. Testimony is the word... Martyrio. There is no dumb 
martyr. There's no insignificant martyr. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of the saints. Your testimony, my testimony, has incredible power. Specifically because your testimony should testify to something that died in your life that was not supposed to be there. They loved not their lives unto the death. What died away you didn't love. This is how, this is one of the ways that we overcome. Some of us are not overcoming as well as we can because we got the Lord's part, like we know what He did for us. And we read it and we testify it and we listen to the songs about it. But sometimes we don't, we don't turn that into a personal part and testify even maybe to ourselves and declare that power literally working in us. You know what Andrew said this afternoon? He's like, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in that kind of church that probably believes in raising the dead. Woohoo! And everybody, woohoo! Yeah, we believe it. We're in the crazy church. Um, he said, where I'd lose most of you is where I said, okay, you believe in raising the dead? Yeah, amen. Do you think I could raise the dead? Yeah, we believe in you, Andrew. Do you believe you can raise the dead? Whoa, 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 whoa. Like he's the super awesome death raiser and we're just regular Christians. He's the super saint and we're barely saints. That's something that the enemy's done to you on purpose. Because you don't really honestly think that you have a supernatural testimony. So this happened twice in a row and I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's accidental. Last weekend, with Pastor Dwayne being here, we had the immense honor, obviously, of going out to lunch with him after service on Sunday, and it was so precious uh, to spend time with him and Miss Sue. Um, I'm sorry, Monday. Uh, it was so precious to spend time with him and Miss Sue. Um, it was. It literally was one of the most treasured times of my life. And then we got a call uh, that he wanted. I got a call from Pastor Dwayne, and he said, Hey, will you and Kay have lunch with me and Sue again tomorrow? And I was like, I, just so Jeff and Jaron know Pastor Dwayne way better than I do. Um, and I'm like, am I in trouble? <laughs> and Jaron's <laughs> like, nah, if you're in trouble, he'd just die. He says, if he wants to have lunch with you, it's probably good. And I'm like, probably. I'm not, not super okay with that. So anyway, the bottom line was is that the first time that we met, I t- told him a little bit of you know where Beloved came from and testimony and stuff. And he, him and Masu actually wanted to hear more of that um, and some other stuff. And I was so blessed by that. That Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, one of the most amazing, anointed, successful people in all of Christianity, in all of the world, wanted to hear more of our testimony. I know, for real. And then today we just had lunch with uh, Andrew's team, 
And they did the same thing. And I've been pondering on what uh, what to minister to you guys since Bob said that to me. Hey, why don't you take tonight? And while I was uh, pondering this and I was watching all of you come in, and I said, Lord, there's only literally a couple of these people that actually honestly really know our testimony. Like, my testimony. Like, why am I here? I mean, you know that... Obviously, I want to see a discipleship culture. You know, you know what we're trying to accomplish here with the kingdom getting into people's lives and seeing, you know, powerful supernatural things happen and take place. And and I was sitting, I was like, you know, at least half of you have no clue. For all you know, I could have literally just dropped out of heaven. (laughs) All the people laughing. I could have just dropped out of heaven and started a church and you stumbled in here one day. <laughs> Not so. <laughs> and usually when I tell this, my mom and or my wife are here to correct me. <laughs> so I'm feeling frisky. I'm no mama, no wife. I'm free. So I want to tell you uh, my testimony and I won't take uh, much time. But I do want you to, to see that it, I don't, I honestly, me personally, I don't think it's this powerful, incredible testimony. But it made Pastor Dwayne and Miss Sue cry. And I was, and me and Kay were crying, telling them too. And I guess sometimes you thinking about you or knowing things about you really aren't because of you. But I, like me personally, I love to hear that. That's one of my favorite things to do is to sit. In fact, Jeff and Jaron have been with us since last something. <laughs> like over a week they've been with us. And, and obviously it's been a busy week, so we haven't had like tons and tons of time. But we have had some time to sit. And, and they're asking us about, what about this? And what about this part of your past? And we're like, what about this? How did you guys get together? And what is this? And what did you... And, and it's been... It's been really real to me over the last eight or ten days. Like these testimonies that we don't tell have so much opportunity. But I think sometimes we think, well, mine stinks. But then somebody else hears your testimony and they're like, oh my God, that's so That actually sets me free. I said that to, to Pastor Dwayne because he told me a story about something that he struggled with in ministry early on and he was telling me and I was I was welling up and he's like what it, are you okay and I'm like I struggled with that exact thing and I had to fight off condemnation that I struggled with that and here you are one of the most successful pastors in the nation and you struggled with that you just set me free And I don't think sometimes we give people opportunity that, you know, you telling your testimony shouldn't be about you. I want you to hear things in my testimony that are going to set you free. They're going to create opportunities for the Lord in your heart. So I was born into a Christian home. It was honestly, when I was born into it, I remember. 
It was it was a legitimate Christian home. I have two older brothers. Um, my oldest brother, Todd, is uh, actually my half brother, which I didn't find out until I was uh, fourteen years old. Um, but he's my half brother because my mom and I didn't check like today or this week or anything like this but I know that my mom's okay with people hearing this testimony so if you do talk to her at least please be very very gracious and understanding of the fact that I did not necessarily get permission to do this tonight but this is an important part of the testimony my mom was date raped when she was 15 by a very very influential person in Freeport who was part of government and business and uh, because of it uh, she got pregnant and so uh, as a 15 year old back in those days this was a, this would have been in the 50s um, you uh, it was not that was just not okay especially in our part of the world and so um, there was all kind of, you know she was accused of all kinds of terrible horrible wicked things and she finally confessed to the fact that she was raped and nobody believed her just like in today's world Um, and so to try to get some help on the story she she named names and it turned into a whole uh, lawsuit and and it's a whole long story but anyway this obviously the guy was very powerful very well connected and it didn't go uh, mom's way other than at the very, very end, the guy's best friend, under conviction by God, stood up and said, she's right. But the judge still ruled against it. So here's mom, uh, no money, pregnant, 15 years old, back in those days. Um, And she was progressing in her pregnancy. And back then, when you were pregnant, out of wedlock and all that kind of stuff, they sent you to a home because you were obviously an outcast. And so mom got sent to a home. Um, her parents were were uh, religious. Um, so she was in this home, and they were letting her know that uh, as soon as the baby was born, they were taking the baby away from her because uh, she was a terrible person and loose and all this other stuff. And uh, she obviously was not allowed to keep the baby and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, she ran away from the home because she wanted to keep my brother. And all of you know my mom and that fits. And this is why I have such a passion for this abortion subject. Like I would not have had my brother who in many ways was like a father to me if my mom would have bought into the narrative. Praise God. Praise God. So she ran away in northwestern Illinois. She was from Freeport, lived on Shawnee Street. And she ran away in the middle of the winter, uh, nine months pregnant with Todd, and in a nightgown, because she was going to go into labor at any moment and they were going to take her baby and she just couldn't handle it. So she was uh, 
she ran away. She was walking down the side of a road in a blizzard in the winter. And she was freezing to death. And she started to go into hypothermia. And uh, right at that moment, a... I can do this. A large orb surrounded her. And in this orb, there was warmth. And she probably has better words than I do, but there was a such a tangible, powerful love that she didn't have any... It was an energy, but it was also a warmth. It was also a person. It was also a knot, and it was a light, and it was like everything you could describe was all in this love. I think when we get to heaven, we'll have a better understanding that love isn't just like an emotion. Love is all of this stuff that we don't think that it is. And um, she just knew. There wasn't a voice or anything like that, but she just knew that she was loved. This is, this is my heritage. And in that moment, um, everything changed for her. She had a calm and a peace. And in the natural, so this is happening basically to the spirit. In the natural, she was in the ditch, in the snow, uh, freezing to death. In the spirit, she was in this orb, feeling the love and the warmth and the, and the light and the presence of God in this orb. A police officer just happened to be coming by, seeing this little girl laying in the, in the blizzard, in the snow. I have no idea how he would have seen him. I think she had a white night robe, uh, nightgown on, laying in a white blizzard in a ditch on the side of the road. The police officer jumps out, grabs her, puts her in a car. She's passed out or whatever, takes her to the hospital, they revive her, they warm her up, my brother survives, mom survives, her parents come to the hospital and realize that they made a terrible mistake by sending mom to the home, realize how much mom loved this baby even though it was conceived in rape, and repented and both of them eventually got born again, radically born again. Both my grandparents, uh, which I didn't know them very much because they passed away when I was still little. Um, but both of them got radically born again. Mom was able to keep her baby. I have my half-brother, Todd, who I adore. is um, my big brother and always will be my big brother and gives me noogies just to make sure I always will remember. I have to submit to him because I think I can take him. <laughs> but I submit to the noogies. And... So here's a 16-year-old girl with a little baby, out of wedlock, obviously complete outcast um, in the area. My dad was from Wisconsin. He ended up getting radically saved. Um, him and mom end up uh, connecting. He's so radically saved that he doesn't care that she's had a kid out of wedlock or whatever. They um, get married and a few years later, I'm born into this great Christian home where my dad is a minister. At five years old, of my own will, because I knew exactly what I was doing and why, 
I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. My dad baptized me at the YMCA, the old YMCA in town before the new one. And when I was baptized in water at the YMCA, when I came out, mom says that the entire room, and multiple people said this, that the entire room lit up and there was this the, uh, powerful light. Everybody hit the ground when I got baptized. Um, and I was baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I was born again, baptized in water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit at five years old. I didn't know this, but while I was in my mother's womb, there was a prophet that said that mom was going to have a son that was going to preach about the love and the goodness and the grace of God. And then she got pregnant with me. So right around that same time, my dad ended up getting uh, slowly deceived and into uh, what I refer to as a cult. Um, There was all kinds of bad, terrible stuff that happened. My dad... um, just like anybody that gets in the cult had a really good heart, but just was deceived and led astray. And these things are tenuous to tell because I adore my father. Still alive. In fact, he was just at our house a few weeks ago. Um, had dinner with him, talked about great stuff. He serves God and travels the world. He's a, he does missionary work and... Um, and I love my dad. I love my time with him. So I please understand that. And I'm telling you the story that this is just a snapshot of a time when things just weren't right. And please um, protect the innocence of all the players, uh, no matter uh, what you hear. And so at that time, after I get born again, my dad ends up becoming a leader in this group. And so my dad is, is a leader in a cult. And so the whole family, whether you like it or not, we're a part of this deal. And so from the age of five to the age of 13, we were a part of a cult. Tons and tons and tons of abuse, uh, all the stuff that you can think about and name. The worst of which was spiritual abuse. Spiritually, it, would, it is worse for you to spiritually abuse your child than to sexually abuse your child. The reason is, if you sexually abuse your child, the father can come and redeem and rescue that child, make them brand new, and give them and redeem the time. If you spiritually abuse a child, you've probably damned them to hell, because now the abuser is God. So if the abuser is God, and the only one that can rescue the abused is God, they're damned to never be rescued because their abuser is God. There's a lot of applications here for those of you that are married and for, uh, for people that are in leadership. You have to be very, very tenuous about what you do in God's name. Every Orthodox Jew will tell you that the worst violation of the Ten Commandments is the Fifth Commandment, uh, which is, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't cuss. It literally means you should not do anything in your life, ever, to violate the nature and the character of God, and people know that you are one of His representatives. Because when you do something in the name of God, you violate God's nature 
and then people do not know how to get his nature back into their life. So that was the worst of everything that we experienced was spiritual abuse. And I do not believe that it was intended. And I don't believe that all these folks were just terrible, wicked people. It, this is so hard to explain because this was, it was horrible. Horrible. I hated that. With everything in me, I hated it. But it, now looking back in retrospect, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm thankful I'm not almost, I am. I'm thankful for God, to God, that I was able to go through that and be redeemed out of that because I have so much experience and understanding from going through those times that I can help so many. I've helped so many people with this part of my testimony coming out of all that kind of stuff. And people that get into those situations, let me say this. Me personally, I believe that, I don't know if we're going to, are we going to, I guess I'll just, I'm already knee-deep now. Um, I believe that being a Lutheran is being in a cult. It's not based on the Bible. There's things that are twisted. They have one super cool guy, Martin Luther. Just because there's 10 million people in it, doesn't make it okay. You know, cult doesn't just mean Jim Jones drinking Kool-Aid, everybody dies, waiting for the UFO. It's just you're, you're gathered together with a group of people who are having a counter-culture. That's what the word cult comes from, the word culture. So when I say the word culture, I actually have a great understanding and revelation of what I'm trying to tell you. Like, we're not, we didn't build a church, we built a culture. It's a kingdom culture. And it only takes just a little bit of twisting to make it a cult. It's just a little bit. One of my friends has a ministry called Three Degrees. And the, the, his name came from the fact that if you are shooting towards the moon in a space shuttle and you're just three degrees off, you will literally end up on Pluto. It's just three degrees. And that's exactly how the enemy does this. He probably hasn't come to anybody in this room... Uh, with a prostitute and a plate of cocaine saying, hey, you want to do some sinning? That's not how he does folks like us. It's just, he just wants to take you off just a nudge. And then just a nudge, and then just a nudge, and then just a nudge. So these folks that get into cults, these are good people, y'all. They're really good people. My dad is a great guy. He really had a passion. He really had a calling from God to do things. Just got off a little bit. And praise God, he got redeemed. And so did I. And everything's fine. But that's what I experienced from 5 to 13. And it was terrible. It was terrible. Whatever you can think of, if it being bad, it was probably that bad. There, I don't have memories. There's years that I don't have memories. Years. I'll sit around with people and they'll be like, you know, when I was, when I was eight, you know, we did this and this. You know, remember when you were eight? And I'm like, what grade was that? I don't remember that grade. And on top of it, because of how we lived and our lifestyle, I went to 13 different schools before the eighth grade. So we kept having to move and move and move and move. We were super poor. You heard mom say there was times that we lived in our car. We didn't have food. 
hand-me-down underwear, all this kind of stuff. This is, you know, when you get, when your soul is not prospering, it's very hard to prosper in any other realm. So this is this was our experience, um, and and I had great memories because we always grew up in really poor places, you know, trailer courts, uh, uh, Section Eight housing, and and uh, all the all the poorest places of town and projects and stuff like that. And I know you're thinking like, why is that good? The good part about that is because there was always tons of kids. Man, I mean, I, we never lacked for someone to play with. Ever. And it was just, it, especially in the summer, it was like, wake up, leave, and when the light comes on at, dawn, at dusk, then make sure you're home within whatever, ten minutes. And yeah, you were hungry, and you were dirty, and you were, but man, you had all day long doing the stuff and the things. So anyway, I, I personally had tons of great memories, but I also have a bunch of time that I don't have any memories, and I believe that that was the Holy Spirit uh, protecting me from stuff. So at 13, um, finally everything culminates, and uh, my parents get a divorce. Um, me and Tim, my little brother, we go and live with uh, Mom. She moves to Forreston, so we're living in Forreston. Uh, me and Tim and Mom. And mom is, she's doing the best that she can to hold it together, but mom in nearly every way that you can say is she was broken. And it, you know, she weighs 100 pounds, it don't take much to break her. But she always hung on to this love of God thing. She always hung on to God meeting her in her nightgown, in a blizzard, on the side of the road, and she just knew that she was loved. And it would bother the heck out of us kids because we'd go through all this spiritual garbage and she'd be like, I don't know, but God loves us. Like, you, Mom, you are drunk. Like, there's no way God loves us. Don't you know what we're experiencing? Don't you know what we're, what we're going through? And so <clears throat> we get free. We're free from all the spirit stuff and all the things and Mom is just doing everything she can to put bread on the table, literal bread, like cream dried beef over toast, you all heard me talk about that, and this was the best she could come up with, but whatever, like, and far as I was concerned, like, life definitely improved, because it, just me and Tim, and, you know, we can totally take mom, we're, yeah, even at that age, we were bigger than her, and so we were pushing her around, and she was doing everything she could to, uh, to keep food on the table, and I remember when we moved into 305 and a half South First Street in Forreston, Illinois, that I went out in the yard after we got moved in with our five boxes. It was literally like it was about all we had. We moved into a furnished place, and we had like five boxes between the three of us. And uh, I remember going out in the backyard, and I pointed my finger up to God. I said, "Look, I'm out. You leave me alone. I'll leave you alone." I know you're eventually going to kill me for doing whatever. Until then, I'm Bon Jovi and I'm going out in the blaze of glory. And I thought I had a deal. <laughs> I didn't wait for God's answer. He, he didn't answer. Um, and so my my plan was, I, I was going, I was going to, I was going to earn it because we were told God 
was judgment, wrath. He hated sin, therefore he hated me because I sinned all the time and I was always condemned and you're never good enough and there was always demons all over you and every doorknob had a demon and every all my toys, every time I got sick when I was a kid, I knew it was some demon and some toy and so I'd throw some toy out in the yard and three days later I'd get well and so then I'd go get the toy back and put it in my house and I hoped I didn't get sick the next week. And I mean, we were, it was that much spiritual stuff. We used to literally hide underneath the pews while they played recordings of people having being exercised of demons, while the, where the interviewer or the exerciser was interviewing the demon possessed person, talking to all their demons. And the person would literally change. The voices would change. They were actual demons that were on these tapes. And so me and Tim would hide underneath the pew, listening to these demon voices, and they were legit demon voices. Talk about all these things about hell and what they were doing to people and what they were doing to this person. And I'm like, just cast it out already. And we would be crying, and we would stay up all night long and have terrible, terrible nightmares, terrible nightmares. Tim sometimes had nightmares that were so bad that he would literally wake up. Like out of body experiences, like freaking out. The only th- and he would have a fever of like a hundred and eight, and they had to put him in a, to a tub of ice water just to calm him down to get because it was so terrible. You know, spiritual abuse is, is terrible. And so I, I just knew that God was this wrath, judgment, condemnation, sin, just all this terrible garbage. And so when I pointed my finger, I said, so you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I thought I was going to sever all that condemnation and guilt and shame and I was going to go on. And what I found was, was that I became a professional sinner. Yes, as a born-again, spirit-filled guy. Still born-again, still spirit-filled. I would, ha- I would be doing terrible things with multiple women at the same time in my parents' basement because I rented it from them and I would leave the girls and go into the shower and I'd be in the shower and I'd be praying in tongues. And I know you're thinking that's not possible. You can't be praying in tongues and doing that. Really? What do you do? We just put sin on big levels and little levels. Like anything missing the mark is missing the mark. And so I was doing all this terrible, evil wickedness to the point where I literally became kind of infamous and forced and like, you don't want your kids around me, you don't, definitely don't want your daughter around me. Um, it was so bad that anytime something would happen bad in the county, or at least in that area of the county, literally the state troopers would come and knock on my door and verify that I had an alibi. Otherwise, I was guilty. The cool thing was, is I was a minor, so there was only so many things I could be guilty of and actually be charged with. So, we're not going to talk about any of that, because I don't know what the statute of limitations is on anything. <laughs> so we're leaving that alone. But that was how I, I turned into, because I, I literally believed it, that, I mean, God was going to take me out, so I'm going to earn it. I'm not going to be one of those good people that God's eventually going to take out, because God's going to take everybody out, because that's the kind of God that He is. So, uh, to, to start to turn the corner, I got the opportunity to have Kay come into my life. Now, Kay uh, and I knew each other uh, fairly well. Her sister, her older sister, who's exactly one year older than her, um, was my locker buddy, Steve Castle, C.A., uh, Kay's maiden name was Borgman, B.O., and so in Forreston. 
C.A. locker was right next to B.O. locker, and so her big sister was my locker buddy for four years in high school. And so anytime Kay stopped by her sister's locker, I'd be like, hey, Kay, uh-huh, whatever, we know about you. I'm like, well, you know, maybe one day you'll change your mind. Uh, not this day. We, uh, I graduated in 93. Uh, Kay graduated in 94. Um, we both ended up working at the same Italian restaurant um, in Dixon. Uh, she was the delivery driver. I was the pizza guy. So now, like, it's wheels off. I can flirt all I want because now we're not in high school. <laughs> you're better at it when you're out of high school. And uh, she still uh, obviously held up her guard. Uh, at that time, I had a... I cannot say a girlfriend. I had a girl. I was not friendly at all. Um, she was affectionately known as... I'm not going to name her name. I don't care if you put a gun to my head. I won't name her name. So I'm just going to tell you what her affectionate name was. Her affectionate name was Psycho Chick. And not just by me. There was lots of people that used that, that affectionate name for her. Uh, don't ask me how she was my particular girlfriend. I was a jacked up person. So I wanted to get rid of Psycho Chick out of my life. And so I asked Kay if she would pretend to be my girlfriend at my next party and uh, she's like no 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 I'm like please you would do me such a solid if you would pretend to be my girlfriend and help me get rid of this this other girl that's in my life just pretend at the and it's just at the next party and she's like okay well when's the next party I'm like well when are you free because <laughs> every night was a party at the at the castle bachelor pad um so I talked her into it. She came over. She pretended to be my girlfriend. Obviously, the other gal got super, super mad, finally got rid of her. And so um, I had to come up with an excuse to convince Kay to pretend another time because I super duper appreciated her and really liked her, and she was some kind of cute. But way out of my league. I mean, like, league, like moon out of my league. The fact that she even came into my apartment. This bachelor pad one day asked me about this. This place was terrible. They knocked it down after we moved out. Literally knocked it down after. They waited for us to move out to knock it down. The city of Freeport condemned it, knocked it down within like a month. (laughs) It was that terrible. Um, So after convincing her, talking her into pretending to be my girlfriend a couple of times, there was something I have no idea other than uh, God was working things together for good eventually because one day I would love him and I would be called according to his purpose. But she actually found something in me likable. I don't know. I really don't know. You have to talk to her. And so we became non-pretend boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, Eventually I wanted to do right by her because this was the best thing I'd ever had in my entire life. Literally. Kay was the best thing I had ever ever had in my entire life to that time and so I wanted to do everything I could to keep her I knew that eventually it would end because all the good things in my life always ended and so I wanted to do everything I could so I was working really hard I quit doing all the the terrible parts of my lifestyle I was messing with gangs and I had all kinds of bad problems in my life and I started trying to get myself out of that And I got a little bit better of an apartment, and I was working really hard, and I was going to college, and I wanted Kay to, like, not see the bad side, just see the good side, and stay with me, because she was the best thing I had. So I'm trying to 
trying to change my life, but any of you that know that trying to change your life without the Holy Spirit, who is the power to change, all you're doing is being a dry drunk. And so I was doing really good at dry drunk, but I was still a mucked up person. So uh, I would go. I never learned how to do laundry. Uh, still don't know how to. Praise God. And so I'd go to mom's house, and the deal was is that mom would do my laundry anytime I came for free. The payment was is I just stayed there and talked to her. Which, if you know my mom, like, that is totally not a problem. Like, this is the deal. Like, I'm a winner. You're doing my laundry, and I just get to hang out with my mom? Bonus. So, uh, I'd go and do my laundry, whatever, once a week, and hang out with mom, and she'd do my laundry. And I'd talk to mom, and she always would be talking about Jesus and love. And I'm like, please stop. Because you know what we all experienced. It was all terrible. I can't believe that you even like this God guy because of all the things that we went through, especially her. Like as bad as it was for me as a kid, it was twice as bad for her. And I'm like, I can't believe. And she's like, I don't know about all that stuff. All I know is that God is a good God and he loves us. I don't know all the other stuff. I don't know the doctrines. I don't know the theology. I I just know that God loves me. And um, I experienced his love. I'm like, whatever, just do the laundry, see you later. So this one particular day, um, I go over there and I was having a bad, I was having a bad day. Which tends to happen a lot when you hate God and you're doing wrong with your life. So I was having a bad day and I showed up to do my laundry and mom was having a great day. Uh Uh-huh. And she's telling me about the love of God and Jesus. And, and I'm finally, I'm like, had it. So I yell at her. And this is not in my nature, my character, is to yell at my mom. And so I yell at her and cuss her out. Something, I was like a professional cusser. And I cussed her out. I'm like, I just stop it. I don't want to hear about your, your blankety-blank God and your, all your blankety-blank love. And da-da-da-da-da-da. And I know you're got all kinds of judgment for me hold on you'll be okay and she's crying and I realized I just made my mother who is the only authentic Christian in my in my belief system is the only authentic Christian that's ever lived on the planet I thought they were all liars they were all hypocrites they were all fakes except my mom in fact I used to tell people there's only one person in this earth that's going to heaven and it's my mother if there's a heaven. And here I, terrible son, made her cry because she was trying to tell me about the love of God. So I apologized, I repented. She, um, she obviously accepted my apology. You know how gracious she is. And I said, I just don't want to hear about this God stuff. You know what we went through. You know what we all experienced. You know what God has done to us. She said, I don't think God did all that stuff. I think God really is a good God. I think God really is a God of love. I'm like, well, you got your own thoughts and your opinions. Everybody has their own opinions. They're like armpits. Everybody's got two and they both stink. And she's like, I tell you what, um, I won't talk to you anymore about this God stuff if you just take this tape series and listen to it. And I'm like, this is the deal? I just have to listen to a tape, ser- tape series and you'll leave me alone about God and love and stuff? And she's like, yep. I'm like, deal. So I take the tape set. It was a six tape set. Tape. So everybody in here old enough to know what a tape is? Okay. Uh, so I took a, tip, a six tape set and I threw it in the passenger seat of my 1978 Olds Delta 88 that we called Thelma. 
It was a good car. It would it would hit stuff really hard and never dent. It was an amazing car. It's like supernatural. Um, so I threw it in a passenger seat of Thelma, and I was off in trucking. Back then, I went to uh, Highland College, and I worked in Rockford at UPS Air Hub, and I also worked in Dixon. And so I went from Freeport, where we lived, to Rockford and to Dixon, and then uh, two or three days a week, I worked for Smitty in Forreston working on cars. And so I had three, I had two and a half jobs and went to college. So I drove a lot and didn't sleep a lot and didn't see Kay a lot, but we were working towards a goal, I thought. Um, so I, I say that to say, like, I had plenty of time to listen to the tape set. So I'm like a week in and I'm like, oh, I'm running out of laundry. Oh, I got to see mom. Oh, tape set. So I'm like, here's the deal. Listen to the wisdom of your pastor. I'm going to listen to the first five minutes of all six tapes. And then when I tell my mom I listened to all six tapes, I'm not a liar. (laughs) Amen. And I heard all the demons in hell say amen. So I put the first tape in, off and running. And I'm like, this is going to be no problem. Because here I am, good Yankee boy. Pretty much grew up in all these places that I lived with basically northern Illinois, Wisconsin. So good, solid, strong, Yankee. About as Yankee as you can get. And I put this tape set in and this guy was Texan. And he was like the most Texan of all Texans. Like extra Texan. I think he was doing it on purpose. And... He would use all these illustrations like a chicken on a June bug and like Andrew did today, like rare as hen's teeth. Like sometimes they would say this stuff and I'd be like, so is that rare? Do hens have teeth? Like do they have a few teeth? I don't know. I would just hear all this stuff and I'm like, what is this? And so I hear this guy's voice, super twang, super Texan, and uh, saying good things about God. And I'm like, this is no problem. This guy is Looney Tunes. He's got to be an idiot. Obviously, I'm incredibly intelligent. And he's got to be dumb. Listen to his voice. And he's talking about a God of love, so he doesn't even know who God is. I'm like, this is going to be a breeze. Listen to five minutes of all six of these. Take them back to mom. And I'm free. Free of this God stuff. And before it hit the five-minute park, he must have said something that pricked my heart. So I'm like, well, I'll give him five more. No, I'll give him five more. So after I listened to all six tapes, seven times, I'm undone. I'd never heard anything that he'd ever said. Went home, (laughs) you guys will appreciate this a ton. Went home to Kay, and I'm like, "Uh, Kay, now remember, we're a couple of kids living together, just trying to figure out life. (laughs) I'd seen her. We'd never seen each other. I worked at night. She worked during the day. we literally never seen each other. And I'd seen her at one point, and I'm like, hey, Kay, uh, you got a Bible? (laughs) A couple kids living together. She's like, a Bible? Like B-I-B-L-E? I'm like, yes, do you have a Bible? She's like, what do you want a Bible? She's laughing. What do you want a Bible for? I'm like, uh, just, do you have one or not? She's like, what? you tell me what. I'm not telling you why. What do, you, do you have a Bible? She's like, I might have a Bible in this box, in the closet. I'm like, thanks, go to work. 
So she goes to work. I go in this box, rooting through this box, and find this old, crusty Lutheran Bible that she got at some Lutheran uh, youth camp or something, uh, where she went to probably bat pretty eyes at whatever guy went to youth camp, because that's the only reason you go to youth camp, is to bat eyes at each other. And so I get this Bible out, and I get one of these little tape players. You guys might remember them. They had a little handle on them. They had one speaker, and they had a little place for a tape that flipped up, and you put the tape in there, and you could play it. So I had one of those little tape players, and so I put the first tape in there, and I got the Bible out, and I'm sitting on the table. Our dining room table was probably this size. So I'm sitting at the dining room table. got the tape player right there. I got the Bible, and I take the Bible, and I open it up. <laughs> Old Bible. And I hit play. I'm like, all right, preacher, I'm going to rescue my mom because I'm a good boy. I'm going to rescue my mom from this cult. Because here's some preacher in Texas, twangy jerk, who just wants my mom's money and put her into the next cult that I'm going to have to deal with because I'm the one trying to help take care of mom. So I'm going to rescue my mother and I'm going to prove that this guy's a cult. Because I'm going to get the Bible out. I'm going to go to every verse that he used. I'm going to show my mom how much this guy's manipulating the scriptures. Because I read the Bible a lot. We would get beat if we didn't read the Bible when I was a kid. I read the whole Bible at this point. I don't even know how many times. And I never heard any of these scriptures that this guy was using. So I hit play. I'm like, all right, cowboy. Literally. You get it? Okay. All right, cowboy. So he goes to the first one. Pause. Samuel. Samuel. Okay. I remember. This is before Bibles had uh, the stuff. Yeah, you know, the indexes. You didn't have digital Bibles. Where, like You could just flip through. You had to like find it. So found it. All right, play. So he's talking about Mephibosheth and David. And the Hasid. Just saying that word today still messes with me. Hasid. The loving kindness of God. Hasid is so hard to explain that the authors of the King James Bible took this word love, kind, and action, loving kindness. They literally created a word that didn't exist in English and they smashed all this together in loving kindness. And that's the word Hasid in the scriptures. And David had Hasid, loving kindness, for Mephibosheth. And brought him in and rescued him out of his terrible... And I'm like, this lie! There's none of this in the Bible. God is not that way. And then I found it in Kay's Bible. So obviously her Bible was a cult Bible. I'm like, well, maybe it's just wrong. So then I went to the next verse. There it is. Next verse. There it is. Next verse. There it is. Six tapes. It's all in there. I don't know when they put it in the Bible. Because I used to read the Bible. None of this stuff was in the Bible when I read it. Hey, all you people out there that think you know, I found a whole aspect of God that wasn't in the Bible when I used to read it. And found out that God was love. He didn't have love. He was love. And I've been lied to. Manipulated. Deceived. Now I'm mad. And hopeful. And angry. And I want revenge. But I also have this like desire for truth. 
I, I can't tell you the the culmination of all the negative and positive things that are all happening at the inside of me at the same time. So, go the next day to go do my laundry. Kay has to do her laundry, so I stopped by Kay's mom's house, dropped Kay off so Kay's mom could do, her and Kay's mom could do their laundry, and then I went the five miles farther and went to my mom's to do my laundry. So Kay's at her mom's doing her laundry, I'm at my mom's doing my laundry, and I'm in the kitchen with mom, and I'm like, this God. Uh, leave for something, go down the road, and I'm so struggling with all this stuff. And I finally like come to the end of myself. I'm shaking. I'm mad. I'm. I'm. All these things are going on. So I finally pull over on the side of the road on Baileyville Blacktop in Thelma, 1978, Olds Delta 88. And I'm. I, I can't drive because I'm shaking. I'm. I'm messed up on the inside. I feel like I'm going to throw up. But then I also have butterflies, and it's just. I'm just undone. And I finally pull over, and I point my finger up to God. And I say, don't judge me. And I say, if this is true, if this is really who you are, and I've been lied to and manipulated all my life, then I honestly want to know you. And I'll serve you the rest of my life. But if this is just another cult leader that's trying to get my mom and get me and work up and do some emotional thing, and this is all just another lie, I want you to leave me alone and stay the F out of my life. And this was my sinner's prayer. And I was waiting. You don't say that to God and something happens. So I was waiting for the lightning bolt to pierce Thelma's top and fry me to a pile of ash. And right when that lightning bolt was coming down, it turned into this warm honey. And from the top of my head, but on the inside of me, not the outside, on the inside of me, this warm honey started at the top of my head. And moved ever so slow, like centimeter at centimeter down over. I have no idea how long I sat on the side of that road. All I know is that at the end of that, when it came all the way out to my toes, that the guy that parked that car on the side of Baileyville Blacktop and the guy that pulled off in his car were two completely different guys. Raced back to mom's house, run into the kitchen. Mom! Let me tell you, the things and the stuff and God and love and woo and the Bible and the twang and woo, Jesus. And Jim, those of you that remember Jim, my my father, my stepdad, um, heard me and mom talking. And this was a long time ago and I can tell this testimony now because he passed away. And so I can say stuff and he doesn't beat me up over it. Um, So Jim came running into the kitchen and he's like, so, got religion, huh? And some of you don't know this, but Jim was a, an alcoholic for 20, I think it was 27 years. Um, just a bar brawler, uh, worked on the railroad and was a roofer. Railroad, roofer, bar brawler, alcoholic. Like, he was a rough dude. The guy that most of you met and knew and fell in love with here, that wasn't my stepdad. <laughs> and it bothered me that he was lying to all y'all all the time. <laughs> No, that was the grace of God that worked in his life. He was born again, but I mean, just barely. (laughs) He was still spitting up a lot. So, Jim comes into the kitchen. Say, you got religion, huh? Yes, sir. Got me some religion. Jesus and love and woohoo and twang. And he's like, ah. So you still living with 
<laughs> you st- and Kay always stops me here and she says, Jim said that he didn't say that, but I was there too. When we get to heaven, you can ask Jim and I'll ask Jim. And if I'm wrong, I'll repent in heaven. In heaven. Uh, Jim says, so you still living with that hussy? <laughs> said, yes, sir. He said, fornicators go to hell. I said, what's fornicating? I mean, these are just words you, you know, but you don't know what, I mean, they're just in the Bible. Like, does anybody know what lasciviousness is? Probably not. It's just one of those Bible words. Like, well, what's fornicating? He said, living with that hussy. And I'm like, Kay's fornication? And he's like, not nah, her specifically, but what you guys are doing together, living together, is fornicating. I'm like, and what happens? He says, the Bible says, book of Revelation. Fornicators go to hell. I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. I just got out of hell. <laughs> and he's like, well, you better make it right. I'm like, well, how do I make it right? He said, well, you either uh, move out or marry her. I'm like, well, I'm moving out because she's the best thing that's ever happened to me besides what just happened to me in the car. He's like, well, you better make it right. I'm like, fine, what do I got to do? He's like, marry her. I'm like, no problem. I'm a confident person. So I drive in Thelma over to Kay's mom's house, five miles away, run in Kay's mom's house. She's sitting there talking to her mom and her sisters. And I'm like, baby, come here. And she's like, what? I'm like, hey, will you marry me? And she kind of looks at me and she's like, yeah, I'll marry you. I'm like, boom, bonus. So I go running out, hey, see y'all, God bless you. I'm sure that messed with her mom because her mom knew me. She did not like Kate dating me, I can assure you. Went back to mom's house, brought mom and Jim in the kitchen for a conference and said, hey, she said she'll marry me, so I'm not a fornicator. We're engaged or something, right? So doesn't that make it all right? He said, well, just make sure that you're not doing stuff. And I'm like, what kind of stuff? He's like, don't make me explain it. This is why I explain it to you guys, because they never explained it to me. That's that's why I talk about it here, because they didn't talk about it. So I said, okay, no problem. I barely ever see her anyway. So go back... uh, Got it. Jim sets it all up. He's gonna. He's got some preacher in Rockford, uh, retired preacher that set it up. So I go uh, pick up Kay, throw my laundry in the back seat. Go pick up Kay, throw her laundry in the back seat, and we're bumping down the road on Baileyville Blacktop, going over the railroad tracks. And I say, "Hey, uh, super excited to be getting married." And she's like, "You're a dark." I'm like, "Hey, hey, we're getting married." And she's like, yeah, whatever, someday. And I'm like, no, 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 you said you'd marry me. And she's like, someday. Because she thought I was joking. She says, like, I was some kind of jokester. I'm a very serious person <laughs> about marriage. And I'm like, nah, uh, you said you'd marry me. We're fornicating. Fornicators go to hell, says Jim. <laughs> And I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want to leave you. So the only thing we can do is get married. She's like, I don't know what fornication is, and I don't know what Jim told you, but I'm not marrying you. Now, to be fair, we started dating in January. Dating. You pick it up. Dating in January. We went steady on February 14th, and this is the end of May. Yep. And I said, look, I love you the best that I know what love is. 
and we're fornicating and fornicators go to hell and I just got out of hell and you need to get this sorted. And she's like, uh, I don't know about all that. And I'm telling you, I don't know how, but the Holy Spirit somehow came into the middle of that fight in Thelma, headed down Baileyville Blacktop, and somehow God fixed everything and she agreed. And two weeks later, we were standing in the preacher's living room getting married. We eloped because we couldn't tell anybody. Who would understand? Her mom got so mad. If you, any of you ever see her mom and you tell her, I'm going to spank you. Her mom got so mad. so mad. Her mom was so mad that she went to Rockford, got a copy of our marriage license, invited us over for dinner, and said, so, are you two married? And I was sitting there like, you know, I was like, because Kay, I always was ready to tell everyone in the whole world. I'm like, I married Kay Parker. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a ring, and she'd always make me take it off going there. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm married. Uh, and so her mom invites us over, and she says, so are you two married? And I was like, I just sitting there grinning, looking at Kay. And Kay's like, all right, well, and, I, you know, and she goes, because I got this, and whips out the marriage license. And I'm like, you're busted. <laughs> So it didn't work well for me. I thought it was a fun moment, but Kay didn't like that moment. So her mom was mad at me for like two years. And, and then on top of it, two years later, we have a wedding because uh, I promised her that was one of the problems with the eloping was she wouldn't have a wedding. Like, I give a rip. And all the guys, amen? You should never amen on that. <laughs> I set you up. I know, I know, I set you up. <clears throat> So two years later, we had a wedding, a real official wedding. She had a real wedding dress. I had a real tuxedo. We had a real limo. Went to Crate Park and took pictures I just found out while we were riding around. with Jeff. We took Jeff and Jaren to Crate Park. And Kay's like, hey, yeah, we had our pictures here because it's such a great... I'm like, pictures of what? She's like, our wedding. Like, we were at the park? She's like, all I thought about was... Never mind. Uh, so uh, got married and... Had a wedding, two eloped, got married two years later, and then three months later went to Texas to go to Bible college so both of us could get it figured out. Kay had the exact same experience with that tape set that I had. That tape set was Kenneth Copeland's Covenant of Blood, which is in our library. Well, it's in a box right now. But when our library becomes a library, there's a Kenneth Copeland Covenant of Blood. You can listen to what wrecked me. And it's still, when I still listen to it, that's why... Um, I talk about covenant, and I have such great covenant language because covenant is what fixed me. That, that truth that wrecked both of us, the reason it wrecked us was because it showed us the true nature of God. That I believe that maybe, maybe 10% of the body of Christ understands even a little bit of it. What Andrew was preaching on this morning about be ye reconciled to God, God's already reconciled to you. You need to be reconciled to Him. Most people, That stuff goes way over people's head. Just, okay, whatever, be reconciled to God. Do what? Like, do all the righteous things, be holy, be right. No, not even close. It's actually believe in His nature and His character, what He's done for you, and respond to His love. So if you're in a room and this has impacted you, 
I want to give you this book. So if you believe that you need a better revelation of the nature of God, please raise your hand so I can give you this book. Oh, you bought it already? Anybody need a revelation of the true nature of God that hasn't bought it? One, two, three, four. Okay, we have... uh, give this to Scott. We have this on our free materials and so I would throw it but my staff yells at me for throwing stuff. We have that on our free materials and so anybody that still wants it, you need to get it. But that that's why I became so intimately connected to Andrew was because Andrew was one of the few people in my life that really had it, that really got it. He had such a radical encounter with the love of God just like I did, and he really understood the nature of God. And I did it. And I needed it. Desperately needed it. And he filled that void in my life, and we've been off and running ever since. And as you guys know, I mean, he was here today. 24 years being a partner with him. And he was here today. Like, that's still messing with me. So that is uh, basically the first half of my testimony, and I'll leave the rest of it for later. But I want to bless you now. I know we've had a long day and, and lots of stuff and things, and so I want to I want to bless you and then give you an opportunity. We're still we're I'm still going to be the last person out of the out of the room. If you don't have this revelation, if you need someone to pray with you about something, if you need manifestation of some truth in your body, I can assure you that you understanding the true nature of God would help you. So if you haven't risen... Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.